The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Liverpool Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast. I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com. You can also find me five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down... High-level MMA, and that's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever uh, you're listening to this, whatever time zone you're listening to this, this one's, uh, wow, this one's even later than usual. I know, Dan, Dan, Dan Tom's reaching new lows, new lows, baby, yeah, it's not, not, don't worry, it's not a new segment, new lows, thankfully, is not a new segment, but uh, but yeah, uh, going to be an expedited version, thankfully, you know, from some fight cancellations and so forth, it's a short card to get through, so it won't be, it won't be too bad, but I really wanted to get through it, even though it was, it was another... Um, uh, there's another crazy week. Um, I, you know, there are some. Uh, I dare say, well, I don't want to say gems, but there's some stuff that I wanted to share and talk about in this card. Okay, I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm trying. I'm trying. But yeah, I didn't even watch Bellator to be honest. Uh, you know, started off the week. By the way, UFC Chile was awesome. Don't, not going to spare you the recap. Also going to spare you the recap because I just don't have time. But I don't have have the notes in front of me. But the picks were pretty pr- pretty good. I, I will say. Uh, and even though it's been a grind, and you know Dan Tom's struggling to keep up, as you can obviously tell, um, I will say, uh, you know, as much as I try to 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 work smarter and not harder, and and uh, uh, you know, um, not put as much time into certain things, I don't cut corners. So it's it's a weird thing. It's a, you know, I don't I don't cut corners as far as prep. You know, I don't I don't necessarily have to. Go through and rewatch the whole fight footage of guys who have run through the comb multiple times. You know, you, you get to a point where you can select certain things and you work a little smarter in that sense. But but the prep's the same and the picks uh, the picks haven't been too bad lately. I will say overall, uh, plays is another thing. That's a whole other thing, especially when you know I have to wait till the end of the week. Things get inflated as we'll get to with this card. But that that kind of happened on the last card too. I had two straight plays, which hopefully you played. One of them got really inflated just overnight when I was doing the article. While the other one went down. So. I ended up cutting the, uh, uh, even though I played it and recommended it for you, so protecting your podcast listeners benefit, benefited, but uh, yeah, I cut the Gabrielle Benitez play from the article and then left the dog plays at Cummings, which didn't come through. Uh, miniature Fabricio Verdum came came through instead on that one. But aside from that, everything else uh, did pretty well uh, as far as picks-wise, and, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was a pretty fun card for the most part, minus the end. There's the recap on UFC Chile. I guess we'll leave it at that. But um, got got a couple plays, just a couple straight plays, and and, and a fantasy team that I actually feel pretty good about. Uh, I'll just say southpaws and takedowns to, to to tease it. But but let's get right in to UFC Fight Night 130, UFC Liverpool. Um, starting from bottom to top, as per usual in this podcast. Uh, <clears throat> it's gonna be on Fight Pass. Only the lone fight on Fight Pass now. Elias Theodoru. Minus 400 favorite against Trevor Smith. Hatsaw Smith. 
Is it hot sauce? I don't know. A lot, a lot of hot sauces out there, I think. Plus 325. I know. Hot sauce Holtzman is another one, but uh, <laughs> Trevor Smith. Yeah, uh, Trevor Smith is really easy to underestimate, but then again, you just look and he's just kind of just super inconsistent throughout throughout you know his career as far as what he's outputting, pace, type of offense. Hell, even sometimes just like the state of his offense looks even inconsistent. Um, but also what he can what he can intake, what he can take as far as shots, um, pressure, etc. Just it's just it's really it's really tough. Um, to bet him or to bet for him or bet against him, uh, for that matter. Um, but I, yeah, I, I guess I could see why people are. I don't know about minus four hundred. I'm not playing it. Um, but uh, I can see I can see why you know Elias Theodore is favored. You know, it's kind of the same deal with him. It's very uh, puts out a pace, very very pleasing to the judges, and you know he fights beyond his years to his credit as far as the way he puts things together. It may come off as, you know, the not so, uh, you know, I always stick up for karate stylings and whatnot, but there, there is that bit of that point karate styling where you're like, what do, at a certain point, what are you doing? Or certain strikes where, you know, they don't really translate well if you're not really doing the whole package. And you could definitely accuse Elias a bit of that, but, you know, he, he mixes up his game. He's, uh, he, you know, he knows how to, he knows how to work and keep busy in the clinch, even if he can't get the takedowns that he likes to try to chain to. Uh, the single legs and so forth, uh, serviceable ground game against days, busy floats, transitions, strikes in the process. Uh, but I don't think he's going to be doing that. I think he's really just going to be sticking to the same game and, and, and kind of striking and, and picking his spots. And even though it was an older Dan Kelly who's long overdue for the wheels to start falling off, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to old, old, old man Dan here in a bit, um, yeah, it, it, if he was able to do it to Dan Kelly, who, who you know I, I hold in high regard, despite what I just said, I think he can do it to even a, a, a decent to uh, you know upper even uh, Trevor Smith, what we're used to seeing. So I'm gonna side with Theodoru. You know, if you wanted to go super degen chalk, I think I saw like minus one fifteen or something. It may have gone up uh, for like Theodoru by decision, but like. I mean, I don't even know if I don't even want to play that. I just stay the hell away from this fight. In fact, it's all my fights to avoid for a reason. Eh? All right. Uh, also on the fights to avoid. Uh, next, Molly McCann, minus 175, uh, who just missed weight this morning. Uh, a wee bit ago. And Jillian Robertson, plus 155. Um, I want to say I underestimated Jillian Robertson before, you know, because of the TKO loss to Barb Honchak, but... She was also facing uh, my girl, Ellie, Emily Whitmer, so that was a complete bias pick regardless, which uh, <laughs> i got to start stating those, man. It's a good thing about Extreme Couture. The good and bad thing about Extreme Couture doing so well is I actually have to deal with that again now. So, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, uh, Jillian Robertson, that, one, that was a really nice armbar to her credit. Really opportunistic submission, but really nice. I mean, opportunistic in the sense of it's hard to explain, but if you look at the way... Um, she lined up like even the com even even DC thought she was safe, uh, and because uh, Emily stacks her shoulder weight in toward the cage, usually there's nothing there. But the way her arm was folded over, it actually it actually almost blocked and locked her other arm in straight for where she was at, and she couldn't pull out because she was pressured into the cage, 
And that arm bar, it was it, it went, as soon as Jillian put her leg over, it was one of those arm bars that it's just immediately on. And and that was that. That's why it was like a quick, almost verbal tap. And it was more Emily just like in disbelief because it really did come on that fast. Like it, it, in Emily's defense, it, it was it was it was just a, a great right circumstances. And that's taking nothing away from Jillian either because you know. Uh, she's a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a reason and training with good girls down there in Florida for a reason. So it's not like it's a, a crazy surprise there. Um, that being said, I, I agree with the line here. Essentially, if Molly McCann can see, keep it standing, she should be able to take this. I mean, when I was doing my analysis on this one a few days ago, I read she she's... I mean, it's hard to say when it comes to, you know, a, a lot of these accolades for, for, for amateur boxing... Uh, female and even male it's not like picking on gender or anything like for certain organizations but she's got some accolades there but uh it makes sense because what i was gonna say is when it, uh the first time i saw her fight wasn't her last fight but it was her second to last one um and you can just kind of see the way she moves her head and kind of changes her level uh, and when i say change level usually you're kind of associating that oh level changing for a takedown but but i mean that for boxing um uh, and a lot of people listen to this podcast probably do know this, but just 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 in case, just to, for brevity. But uh, uh, you know, as far as maybe just just lowering your level slightly, not just your head, not just shifting your shoulders or your hips, but you're you're doing it from your legs because obviously you don't want to lean too far out of position. Kind of a rule of thumb for striking, boxing, or MMA kickboxing when you got kicks and shit coming. I mean, slipping can be, slipping slipping hard even when doing it quote unquote properly. You know, over your feet and such uh, can be uh, can be can be a bit dangerous, which I I may talk about if I remember in the next fight here. Um, but yeah, uh, she should be able to outpoint her. She can she can keep it up. Uh, I uh, I like what I saw in her as far as uh, limited sample size there is so far. The more relevant stuff from her, like digging for underhooks in her last fight, being able to circle away from the cage and so forth. And granted, not the best sample size. The girl she's fought so far over the pond, but you know, for this challenge, uh, yeah, uh, she should be favored, but on the avoid list for a reason. I'm staying away. All right, next, Carlos Pedrosoli Jr. Pedrosoli minus 160 versus Bradley Scott. Brad Scott fought around the world. Royal Marine plus 140. Uh, Brad Scott, uh, tough dude, guy already seen around the European UFC scene. Uh, cross trains at May Lab jumped from welterweight back up to middleweight, back down to welterweight now. Talked about retirement, talked about frustrations with the sport. And you feel for the guy, but then also it's tough. He's a do or die finisher, finisher, get finished kind of guy. And then aside from his two guillotine choke wins, pretty much, you know, and, and of course his last DK loss to Hermanson, but he just went to decision winner loss in the UFC. And then, and it's tough, man. Uh, I hope I didn't you know, come across disrespectful to him on the MMA Junkie Radio Show and I was breaking it down. Uh, I believe I broke it down in the show. It was either that or the pre-show or off-air. I can't remember anymore. I'm just, I talk too damn much. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just when you see a guy in the corner kind of questioning himself or, ver you know, between rounds and then verbally questioning himself in post fights or interviews and so forth, like, you're not being rude or so forth. It's kind of your eyes kind of stating, you know, st stating facts at a certain point. And you see a guy try so many different things from the weight, aforementioned weight changes and camp changes and moving around and, 
and you're not seeing much of a difference, I mean, it, it, it's tough, you know, it, it, it's tough. Where So it, I don't mean to discount him because uh, it's really, you know, rule of thumb, I should say, it's risky to risky to play a debutante, but sometimes those are the kind of the spots you have to take. And uh, I was impressed what I saw from uh, Carlo Pedasoli. Uh, <coughs> Pedasoli. Um, I knew nothing about this dude, like most people, until probably, you know, he fought Nicholas Dowley, if you... If you Heard of him at all, but you know, as you know, Dan Tom doesn't. Surprise, surprise! Southpaw guy who strikes, uh, Italian guy, uh, underrated uh, game. Uh, surprise, surprise! Dan Tom likes his game. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I know. I'm probably referencing guys like Vittori or even DiCirico, who's not a Southpaw, but you know, underrated uh, kind of all-around game. This guy much more flashy than the first two, and much less tested than the first two I just mentioned. Um, so there, there's still a lot to learn. That said, I'm actually I'm actually playing him. Uh, both he makes the uh, DraftKings team uh, because I think he can get a finish here. But even if he can't get a finish, I feel like minus 160 for 1.75 units is a reasonable within reach chalk chalk stab um, that I took it that I took a stab on. Um, I just think it's gonna be a big speed difference. I think his judo uh, shows through. He's, he seems to be difficult to take down. When he gets taken down, he looks to want to get back up. I mean, he got taken down and kind of flattened down by Dalby, but that was like third round. He was rocked by a head kick. It was a tired fight where he thought he had Dalby out of there multiple times, was working at a very high pace. Like, it's forgivable. He's still very young. He's only 24 freaking years old. So um, for whatever faults, they're not condemnations, at least up till this point, at least from what I've seen. Uh, really like what I've seen. And really creative too. Will drop down for like calf cranks and stuff. Um, he's got a good reactive shot too. Other regional fights I've seen, you know, guys will come at him, and even if he's winning and stuff, and uh, but it's it's kind of there, and I, it seemed risky, but I see why because he's actually pretty dang good there. He'll do a reactive. He has a good reactive double, and he will parlay it right to kind of taking a back and floats well, and will take a back. He could finish. You know, he has submissions on his record. Um, Low sample size and limited sample size in the sense of who he's facing, but seems transitionally and positionally aware what he's or where he's transitioning to, I should say. Uh, so yeah, I like him. He, he's he's the play. All right, next is uh, Gina Mazzani minus one thirty five. Lena Landsberg plus one fifteen. Um, I know it feels, it feels like I'm on Twitter less these days because I, I I probably am. I feel like I just check out every couple hours out of routine, but um. I want to say I've seen some Mazzani plays, and I don't hate it because you guys know another extreme couture is kind of biased here. Maybe that's why it's on the fights to avoid, perhaps or, or so you could say. But no, not really. This is actually just I just think it's a closer fight on paper, and I'm all about Gina Mazzani. You know, I'm uh, I think she can win this fight non-biasedly and biasedly. Yeah, I'm all about her. So. Uh, you know, um, it's not that I'm against it, uh, when you see it on the avoids list, but I'm picking her. Uh, it's just essentially, I mean, my breakdown of the fight, you know, it's, it's pretty basic. I mean, when you really look at these two, especially with the limited sample size of Mazzani, serviceable striking on the outside, really she's at her best when she's bullying, uh, in the clinch, being the bully on top. That's why, aside from a short notice UFC debut, and a bad stylistic matchup, but yeah, it was a bad stylistic matchup against Sarah McMahon, and we saw, you know, what happened there. Um, you, you know, when you, you go against somebody who 
has to be the bully as well, but is just kind of, you know, at that point in their careers, you know, that particular point, you know, obviously much better at that. Um, it showed. Uh, no shame. She rebounds against a deceptively tough girl. Uh, Wu Yu, I want to say the name. I have it in front of me, but pardon me, Dan Tom, you know, he loves to say this, especially, God, why do I all say it with the Chinese people? I'm half Chinese, yet this is the, 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 the race of people who I apply it to. But Wu Nanyu has retard strength, is what I'm trying to say. And that was the one worry <laughs> in, that, in that Shanghai bout. And Mazzini just fucking took it to her. And uh, I was going to say bully fucked her, but that's not very nice. And I said it anyways. Well, now it's in the universe, Dan. There you go. All right. So you're getting, Dan, you're getting delirious, Dan Tom. We always get delirious, Dan Tom. Okay. I'm just warning the audience. I'm just warning you guys, all right? And uh, and she took it to her, so I think she can do that to Landsberg. And it's tricky because the pass she has to go through is the clinch. Obviously, it's Lena Landsberg's strength somewhat, with you know, her being uh, I don't even know what her nickname is. Something did the dignified elbow person. We'll just keep it at that. The elbow royalty, elbow queen, right? Queen, <laughs> queen, right? Uh, princess or something. But yeah, anyways. Um, but her striking and her Muay Thai is not as as you know. Uh, Devastating as, as it was advertised in the lead up to that cyborg fight, eh? And uh, when, you know, as we saw with the Aspen Lad fight, when she gets on her back, we saw what can happen. Um, let's just say, talking to their coach, her coaches, they know what to do. But, okay, here's the caveat. Here's a little inside, a little, little bit of inside, not really. But it, it, it's more of it opens up a point that I actually wanted to talk about for, for Vegas. It's not. Has to do specifically with 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 uh, Gina or, or any any gyms. Is all gyms in Las Vegas? This is actually a Las Vegas centric problem. So so it, it leads to that. But essentially, Gina's like a lot of fighters. Spending, I guess she's spending a lot of her camp at the UFC PI. And uh, again, this is no uh, this is not. Uh, I don't think I'm out of school by sharing this. Dennis Davis, who was on MMA Junkie Radio, recently shared this. Uh, she's dating Tim Elliott. Um, so she's been running a lot of camp with, uh, Tim Elliott. Now, again, they, they, she's on good hands. Dennis Davis is going to be up there for Mads Brunel, who's not training at a streaming tour for this camp. And we'll get to him later. Um, Dennis is, just has a relationship with Mads, so he's going to be up there. Mads like, hey, man, can you corner me while you're up here? Uh, and, you know, like Josh Berkman, other fighters have done the same thing with Dennis because Dennis is just a really respectable dude. He's fought, you know, Nate Diaz, Dennis Seaver, or Steven Seiler. Dennis Davis has been around. Um, the Piranha, uh, head coach at Extreme Vitori. But, uh, but yeah, as she's working with Tim Elliott, and I like Tim Elliott's style as crazy as it can be, but, you know, you can do the math here if you can kind of know Tim Elliott's style, what, what, you know, what that is and what he brings to the table. And apparently, you know, uh, again, we've seen, we, this is just, I'm just throwing this out here as a warning again. I love Gene. I'm Team Extreme Couture. I'm Team Gene Mazzani. I'm, I'm all about that. I, I, I'm picking her. Good vibes, all that. I'm not putting any bad shit out there, but I'm just saying, again, another, like, you know, we've seen with other couples, even another Extreme Couture couple at one time, Caraway and, and Misha Tate, the Just Kosos. We've seen, you know, when fighters give each other advice, even the best fighters, they don't make the best. Benjamin, relax. They don't make for the best coaches, okay? Um,. Uh, that's an that's an adage that's very very common. Okay, fighters don't often make the best coaches, and that's why a lot of the best coaches often never fought, or if they fought, it was very limited, or their fighting experience wasn't necessarily indicative of their success as a coach. Uh, so to be weary of that, you know, um, 
and again, if you're kind of doing the math, you know that Tim's kind of step out, dominant Cruz-like style. Again, don't be surprised, you know, if we see different things. Again, Jinder Maturing is a fighter. We haven't seen a lot of her from a sample size uh, as far as in-fight anyway, so we're going to see probably new things. But, you know, I'm just hoping, um, you know, all sticks to the game plan and you don't have any any, any kind of uh, conflict and... Uh, you know, again, I I don't know Tim Elliott personally, but I I, I dig the dude's style. I, I, from from what I see, I, I've always liked nothing nothing negative. Not saying anything negative. In fact, all I have to say is positives. But again, we've seen these equations work, and at the end of the day, Tim, love his style or not, he's a wild man, right? <laughs> so I, I have faith. She she's, she's got a good corner in Dennis Davis there, but uh, uh, so the the more I don't want to say something to watch for there. The more thing to watch for, I guess, what I was trying to lead into too is. Something I've been noticing, and I've spoken to other people, fighters, people in the organization, media, coaches, all the above. Okay, so again, this is not a, a, a this fighter, this camp. It's a Vegas-centric problem, okay? And something to keep in mind, especially for you really super degenerates or really looking at every detail. A lot of these fighters, this was a problem that always existed with Vegas uh, from like 2007 and eight onwards when the super camp started erupting from Michigan Couture on. You know, all these camps and all the fighters started gym hopping because it was essentially like uh, a fucking uh, 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 a high school, like a rich kid's high school where the kids could make their own classes, right? So you have all these high-level fighters, high-level coaches, high-level facilities. But unless you have fighter with that real fighter coach you know relationship which you find is really rare when you really look at it a really good fighter coach relationship these fighters will kind of have free reign you get into that kind of high school kid mentality where you get into clicks you get into old trends fashion what who's doing what well everyone's over here let's go over here where everyone's at this let's go over to this right everyone's over the p you know and and, and now with the pi that's kind of supplemented that so we're not not only do you have the gyms where some fighters have a good facet on it where they can you know, and most gyms are really, most gyms and coaches are super professional and fighters are super professional and open. Yes, work with this person, but communication is the problem, you know. The the, the strength and conditioning guys working this guy X amount of hard, you know, and he might have it all mapped out scientifically and he knows his craft and he knows when the fighter is going to fight, but he doesn't know how hard the boxing trainer just worked him the day before. He doesn't know how hard his sparring session is going to be that night. And that's where shit just starts getting really cross and all the numbers start getting fucking whacked and the fighter is the one who feels the diminishing returns. That can happen really easily. Now when you have something, you drop in the PI, we have the free thing and the buddy pass. So now you have all these, whether it's like PFL or all these other, Bellator or whatever, non-UFC fighters is what I want to say. And they can go on in the buddy pass and go over and train and go over to the PI. And that's kind of the hot spot. So now not only is that another spot, People, it, it's deceptive because it's kind of a super spot, so it brings everybody there. So it's like you're hearing about all these fighter relationships that are forged. If you notice a lot of the in-studio guests, whether I think it was like uh, Julian Marquez, Eric Anders, or I think it was um, they had some flyweights in there with like uh, and Lance Palmer and Benavidez obviously know each other from Alpha Male, but uh, Matt Schnell. And they almost forge relationships, and they start bringing each other into camp, and it sounds beautiful, and it's awesome, and that's all great. I'm sure it's awesome. But when you think about it, Let's think about the classic example where the PI fails. There's no coaches. And the classic example is Francis Ngannou, right? 
oh, he was the PI guy. Oh, he's all over there. But there's no coach, right? Well, that's true. And as much as Francis needs a coach because he's an experienced an experience guy, probably needs a coach. Now, maybe other guys can kind of get away with it. Maybe a, uh, I'll just you know, throw Joseph Benavides out there who's been open about – he's he is – openly the longest guy who's been at the PI and gotten the attention there, but he's also an experienced guy and could afford and has the money to bring in his own guys. And you know what I'm saying? So it, it, it's a little different. He could probably maybe get away with it more. And there is a spectrum there. Sure. But, but most even prof- experienced professional fighters probably still need coaches. They still need a format, right? They still need somebody looping that together. And what's happening, uh, what is the observed to be happening from a lot of different eyes is that a lot of these fighters, are getting clicking and getting in there. They're getting away from their coaches. They're getting away from their teams. And they're getting into each other's camps. And whether it's clicky because I'm not in the UFC and I can get into the UFC PI through a UFC fighter and I get to be a part of their camp, well, that's fine. That's a whole other thing. Um, or uh, I'm in there and all these other fighters are in there. Hey, hey, oh, you want me to be a part of your camp? Oh, my God, this person's asking me, fuck yeah. Of course I'm going to be part of this person's camp. This is an experienced fighter. This is a da-da-da-da. I can sponge. And that's all very true. But there's also a math in there where especially people who study this or people who more importantly have been in the training rooms know this, that even if it's malicious or not malicious, you can be getting used to where, yeah, you're invited into their camp, but there's really only one person getting the benefit from those training sessions, if you know what I mean. So there's a lot of that going around, too. And without a coach there to guide it, to format, to wield them back, to wield you back, to make sure that everybody's getting their balanced amount of time, that's not necessarily happening. But you're getting free food, training, recovery, state-of-the-art. You know, you take your selfies. You're part of everybody else's fucking selfies. And you see it if you're fishing through these fighters' Instagram. I'm just saying it's a real. I don't mean to go on the side tangent, but it's a it's a developing thing here in Vegas that I've been keeping my on my eye on from talking to enlightened eyes that are seeing these things. So um, and that so that stands for any fighter that you that you see just something 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 to, something to watch. And you know if any fighters for some reason are listening to this, um, I don't see why you would take offense to that. Hopefully you kind of osmosis that in there. Um, to the approach and see where that applies to you. Maybe, maybe some of it, maybe none of that applies. But you know, it's it's something to think about. You know, uh, it, it's a it's a deceptive uh, two way street, I guess you could say. Again, it's a positive place. I I love the the the, the UOCPI and what it's doing, but uh, just something to think about, I guess. Food for thought. Anyways, all right. Next fight: Dan Kelly plus two ninety five, Tom Breeze plus three fifty, uh, minus three fifty five. Um, I'm going to try to speed this up because I just went on that, that huge tangent. And uh, this one's pretty clear. Uh, southpaw versus Southpaw, which can be tricky. So I'm going to be interested to see what Breeze does there. Especially because, you know, Breeze, it's a layoff. I'm not worried about going up to 185. I, I like him there. Um, even if he gets put on his back, his jiu-jitsu is really good. Like, Tom Breeze, that's what stuck out to me first. It wasn't so much his boxing that, like, I think most people kind of saw. Especially when he started focusing on it more. And he's all he, he did have it on the regional scene too, but you saw more of his guard work. Like, I love long, tall dudes who can work like overhooks and really just get that hip dexterity up like a lightweight, and they're just just really flexible and crafty like that. And Tom Breeze has that, but um, he also can get sucked into grappling battles that don't suit him, as we saw in the Nakamura fight. And that's what you know, Dan Kelly is a different style than Nakamura, but very similar in the sense of. 
he makes it dogged into his style of grappling fight and, and can kind of take it and run with it as soon as you as soon as your guard falters. So I suspect Tom Breeze is going to be more of a boxing-centric approach, which makes it uh, interesting considering, uh, again, southpaw versus southpaw matchup. Uh, Dan Kelly, I don't have the notes in front of me, mixed success against southpaws. Obviously, his last one really didn't go his way, which, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I picked him there, and I know it was a, it was a long shot in the dark. Uh, but, um, you know, picking him against Derek Brunson. But, uh, sorry, I'm just going to calculate real quick. One, one and one. Yeah, he's one and two, got knocked out by, beat Camozzi, got knocked out by Alvi. And uh, not sure about those other gents offhand. But, yeah, um, I'm going to be rooting for Dan Kelly, uh, as I always do. Um, I think uh, me and Dan Levy both might have had him on our top underdog episodes. Boy, that was a minute ago. i got to get him back on the podcast. But we did our top five underdogs. And, uh, and yeah, it's hard not to think of a guy like Dan, Daniel Kelly when you think of uh, an underdog fighter. But, um, but yeah, the pick is Tom Breeze there. All right, Darren Stewart, plus 140. Eric Spicely, minus 160. We are already on the main card. Uh, Eric, this, this, this makes sense, uh, especially looking on paper. It's, I hate saying the you know proverbial striker versus grappler, but that's essentially kind of what it is. Darren Stewart, underrated in the clinch, and you know as far as busy in the dirty boxing, and has decent takedowns. We'll go try to take it back himself, although he's not great at it, but he's showing efforts and improvements in the grappling. That, excuse me. Grappling department, the problem is he's doing it when he's not supposed to. And I think he's doing it when he's not supposed to. He's so darn aggressive. And he gets into these dog fights. And if he doesn't put the guy out, he gets more than he bargains for. Which, sadly for him, seems to be keep, to keep happening him at the higher level. Um, against maybe not the highest level of opponents. You know, my favorite, Francis Marbeho. So, oh, he creeped into my f- fight footage this week. My f- <laughs> you know, I love watching Francis Marbeho's footage. But uh, but Eric Spicely uh, has shown improvements too. Um, even uh, Gerald Mearshart was saying he had deceptive pop on his jab, and we saw you know he was going in and out nicely. I mean he was kind of showing glimpses of it in the Dicharico and, and uh, uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. fight. And uh, you got to imagine that's the work from Syndicate MMA, John Wood, and TriStar Jim for uh, for Um you know, Muay Thai, jab fundamentals, things you kind of see from those two gyms and as far as what they focus on for their their fighters. And uh, wrestling improvements too, but his wrestling is pretty serviceable, even though it's not great. He's just long and knows how to use it, so he'll get a lot of trips and stuff. Spicely will from the clinch. Darren Stewart, been taken down mainly from the clinch. Uh, so, and even if Darren Stewart does go for his takedown, Spicely showed he can even, you know, submit an underrated guy like DeChirico from his guard. Um... Yeah, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I got spicy by submission here, but no plays, no DraftKings, no nothing. Claudio Silva making like a near four-year return since his uh, his, dirty, his his grimy, dirty split decision win over Leon Edwards back in the day. Um, I forgot about this until uh, watching it uh, for when I did, was doing tape study for uh, Edwards because he was fighting uh, another southpaw, Barbarina. And uh, I was like, oh, I forgot about Claudio Silva. And then, sure enough, a little bit later after that, he finally gets booked again for a fight after a series of injuries. Uh, shout out to Fernanda Pretz on uh, MMA Junkie Radio for the article. 
Um, she, has, she has an article there uh, on the injuries and adversities uh, Claudia has been facing. And I, I nothing as bad as him, but um, I can sympathize. Definitely can sympathize with the fighter going through that. That said, the pick is Taleb, the minus 360 favorite. And deservedly so. Uh, he's the kind of he's a stylistically bad matchup. You know, he's seldom out of position, uh, which will make it hard for Claudio. Though he has an underrated takedown game, even though he's not, not very athletic, he will reach down Claudio for those snatch signals and just kind of relentlessly chain. But he's going to have a hard time catching um, Taleb out of position, who is underrated takedown defense, real spatial and octagon awareness in his sprawls. And Taleb just stylistically bad matchup, like I was saying, because of the fact that because he's seldom out of position. He's a very powerful and deceptive counterer. Not like a crafty Wonderboy counterer, but just like, I'll catch your kick, Eric Silva, and knock you on your ass. Um, and his kicks, too, have gotten much better since working with the cross-training at uh, Tiger Muay Thai in Thailand. Uh, we saw that in his uh, Danny Roberts fight. Um, not just, you know, he was always going, you know, leg and body, but he wasn't building off it. And then we saw him build off it and kind of go up to the head there and then just put the nail in the coffin. It was real impressive stuff. I don't know if he gets the fight against Claudio Silva, who, you know, if if you watch him fight, he is deceptively durable, but he also has that 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 game that gameness characteristic where um, you see from like a lot of man, I don't want to I don't want to stereotype, I want to stereotype a nation here, uh, or stereotype a even or stereotype a camp. I don't know what's worse, but. Uh, he actually worked with Novinyao a bit, so we'll just say that because you know, see it from Novinyao. They know how to win rounds. He'll turn it up at the end of rounds, which is really smart. Nothing wrong against that. But then you'll also see stuff like that's really reminiscent of like that Jose Aldo, Chad, Chad Mendez two fight. You know, you see you see certain fouls at opportunistic times. Maybe <laughs> I guess that's what I was trying to say here, and uh, and stuff like that. Like with the guy's game. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to call the guy out. Hey man, you ain't cheating. You ain't trying. I've. Uh, <laughs> I've I've come from that school of things too, so believe me, I, I ain't hating. Um, and uh, and yeah, man. So I don't know if Taleb's gonna be able to get the decision. Claudio seems to be, you know, I mean, granted he's down from 185 for the second time, so the fat's gonna be trimmed, but he seems to be in decent shape. He's fighting back at fight zone, back up in England, not 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 in Brazil, not at London Shoot Fighters. Maybe he did some cross training at London Shoot Fighters. I don't know. Uh, it wasn't labeled on his Instagram. But I got an Ordin Taleb here. All right, Makwan Amirakani, uh, plus one forty-five. By the way, that the 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 fight that that replaced uh, Manny Bermudez versus um, Davey 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 Grant. Um, that sucked because uh, I wrote that fight up just like the Crow Cup uh, fucking Nelson fight, and that got canceled. So those those two things is, is uh, what set me back. And when you have the health issues of Dan Tom and a schedule that can't afford any setbacks or time really free to, to, to dig into well you feels you feels those y'all you feels those and I felt it I felt it I seemed it so yeah apologies again for being late alright uh Mac one of my Arcani plus one forty five Jason Knight minus one sixty five um shit man he's going he's like the thing that sucks about Jason Knight is he's less Hick Diaz and more redneck zombie you know just coming at you know that just coming at all offense, but, but but no defense, right? Not no defense, but you know what I mean. He has improved his footwork, little things, but there's no head movement. He's coming at straight lines, even though he's switching his stances. And he's just so hungry. He just wants to hurt the guy. But Jason Knight, you got to defend yourself, man. I love watching you fight. I should have a, trouble picking you in this spot because even though um, 
you haven't been submitted yet, and I don't, uh, even Amir Khan, he's a deceptive submission threat. I don't see him submitting you. I do see Amir Khani's wrestling winning the day. Now, apparently Makwan spent six months training boxing, whatever that means. I don't, I don't know. I don't think any of us can pretend to know. He, From what we do know is he just had serviceable softball striking before. You know, with prod, with uh, prodding jabs and check hooks off the counter. Occasional cross he would build off. The occasional flying need to start the fight. And that was about, about it. But that lightning fast level change, his shots, his hip hoisting... It's really tough to beat. Really tough to beat. And he's a really good scrambler. Um, he does seem to tire, but he also can wrestle while he's tired. And that's a thing with a lot of wrestlers and a lot of good wrestlers. It's weird. Some we give credit to for being able to wrestle while they're tired, while others we don't. I think it's a body language thing. Some guys can just look better in doing it than others. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's a predisposed characteristic thing. If it's a cocky guy or a guy we're looking to poke holes in in the first place, an undefeated guy. Maybe we're like maybe we're more apt to do that. I know that's something I can fall victim to as well. I'm human, um, but I don't know what it is to be honest. But uh, but yeah, uh, but even if he does, you know, see a tire, you know, uh, I think he can already have two rounds in the bank by that time by his wrestling. And I also got to imagine that's improved because the fights that happened, he was also jumping around and jumping camps. Um, this is his first or second full camp uh, with uh, full healthy camp with uh, SVG Ireland. Now he's actually comfortable to the team now, living with John Kavanaugh apparently instead of just visiting, which was apparently for the first camp, and he just felt like a visitor there, didn't feel too comfortable apparently. But he settled in apparently now. We'll see. We'll translate. I don't know. I do know he's a good wrestler though, and. Knight, even though he's improved since being able to be grinded out by Kawajir or even taken down by, you know, uh, and, and being on top of guys, you know, uh, like Allers and whatnot. Um, yeah, I don't see, I don't see that. And again, not hating on the rubber guard, but when you try to, you know, if if, if, he, if he does go to that, not, he's gotten better about not. It's just I don't, I don't see him producing a submission there because you don't see it that much on the on the higher levels. Um, you know, so you mainly see it for stalling. So we'll we'll see what Knight uh, can pull out. You know, talented talented crew around him with Alan Belcher and May Club. But I got Amir Khani here, uh, also for DraftKings because his path involves takedowns. So takedown southpaw is kind of a kind of a theme on this DraftKings team here. Uh, moving on. Speaking of takedowns, Mads Brunel plus one eighty bet down from like plus two eighty five or something like that. I think he opened near plus three hundred against Arnold Allen minus two twenty. I get why Arnold Allen's a favorite. I, I pick Arnold Allen to 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 be the first or to beat uh, Macwan in the UFC at least, and uh, he did. And uh, I I think uh, Allen probably has a higher ceiling on paper than Brunel for sure. Actually, on paper, because Brunel still has stuff to be to be seen. But they, at the end of the day, they're both 24. And that's the crazy thing. Uh, Arnold Allen's a talented southpaw. Can do a lot of different things. Really athletic. Really strong. Scrambles well. Can fight off his back and scramble well. He's improving his wrestling now. That he's at a TriStar Gym. Working more off the jab than getting wild, even though his boxing has always been good and very deceptively powerful. Uh, but he is, even though deceptively powerful, both knockout power, strength, and scrambling-wise, he is a former bantamweight facing a former lightweight who is going to be much bigger than him on fight night. And we saw that he can out-wrestle uh, wrestlers that are featherweights 
That is Mads Brunel because he's not just some European jiu-jitsu guy. He actually comes from a long lineage of wrestlers. He's been wrestling since age six. And even when he is tired, uh, as he has shown to be in both victory defeat and both good showings and bad in both full camps and short camps, he perseveres with the wrestling. Uh, unless he's facing a tractor in Bracheres, of course. Uh, I'm sure this is UFCW. Uh, <laughs> you know, so again, that looks a little less bad now, doesn't it? Uh, but still... Uh, Brunel uh, is going to have to be the top guy. He's not going to be afford to play on bottom. He's he's such a good grappler. He we can see him get kind of lackadaisical even in some prior matches. Not so much because um, again, usually he he's he's bullying the guys in the grappling department, especially in his MMA uh, career. But uh, apparently, again, a uh, little bit little a uh, little bit inside information, but not. Let's just say. Um, he may have had a new strength and conditioning coach for his last camp that they were saying on the on the broadcast, but it wasn't a compl- I'll just say uh, Burnell wasn't able to make all his sessions. Um, I can't say why because I honestly can't. But uh, let's just say he wasn't able to make all his sessions and it wasn't the best camp. Um, from all reports, this is Burnell's best camp he's ever had, and that sounds cheesy, but this is coming from the coaches. This is the most focused he's ever been. That may or may not have been a problem in the past. This is the most focused he's ever been. He's healthy. His weight is down. And they've never seen him more driven. Um, Listening to interviews again. Shout out to the great James Lynch again. I loved it because I listened to his interview after I did the analysis. And it's just so great to hear him hint at the things that I know he's seeing. I know he's seeing these things. Because Brunel is so good from the front headlock. And the front headlock is where... Arnold Allen gets stuck and more importantly stuck is the key word you know Brunel said he saw some things that where he can take advantage of and the reason why Brunel uh, Allen gets stuck in these positions whether he's winning or losing is because he's choosing to engage him half the time and even when it looks like he's choosing or fighting to disengage he has yet in any of his UFC fights and I went through and watched his cage warrior fights it's a little different a little lower level competition even for what it's already scrambly fights that he brings to the table, even more kind of scrambly back and forth fights. But even in his scrambly fights in the UFC, he hasn't gotten a separation. Arnold Allen has been separated from the, if he's gotten off of the cage, off his, his back off the cage or his back off the mat, nine times out of the 10 in the UFC, it's because of a, a ref has separated him. That's important to know. That's really important to know. And when he does try to, he's often getting stuck in certain positions because he, he uses underhook get-ups, he will tripod to stand, and he will use single-leg get-ups. All get-ups that are nothing wrong with, high percentage, I use and, and would, would, would teach myself. The problem is all three of those get-ups lead into front chokes. Underhook get-up, the counter is Dar's chokes and guillotines. Uh, a front headlock can also ensue from there. Uh, tripoding up can get your back taken, but it can also lead to a front headlock series, which leads to a whole series of chokes. Single leg get up can lead to Dars, Anaconda, and just front headlock series, obviously. So all those lead to, where is Mads Brunel's strongest place? The front headlock series. Anacondas, Darces, Japanese neckties, guillotines, all the colors of the rainbow. He will fucking take them. Um, 
has he missed him before? Sure. Mike Santiago looked really well trained with Brunel, which Brunel noted was the first thing. He, it's funny. He actually, was, and I went back to watch, it was the first thing he noted in the post-fight interviews. You could tell he trained really well for it because uh, man, Mike Santiago was fighting hands. Smart. The unsung hero. The equalizer. It's how a white belt can survive against a black belt is if he knows how to fight fucking hands. And that's what, if you look, that's what Mike Santiago did. I have to imagine that under Faraz Zahavi, obviously Allen is going to be transcending because Faraz Zahavi is a genius. But the fact is, Allen still gets stuck in it every time. Allen still has trouble separating. That's my dog lapping up water back there. And uh, that's Brad's Brunel's strength. So I'm going to go with Brunel, who, you know, even though he has one stoppage loss uh, earlier in his career, and again, he's a young guy, um, his boxing's pretty good. I know he only has one pro boxing fight, but you look at his style, it's, 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 it's much better than it appears if he knows that you're watch, you know what you're watching. He does that, that Conor McGregor, that slip and cross over the top, and like uh, he, uh, uh, the one that Conor tried to hit on Nate throughout their, their, their series um, many times. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, man, uh, he works really good. You know, he's got T-Rex arms, but he, he works good inside the, in the clench and dirty boxing and knows what he wants. He's going to be going in close for this fight. So, so yeah, I thought uh, there's a lot of, I hate the word value, but a lot of value on Brunel. And I wasn't alone because he got, excuse me, bet down significantly. So, Brunel is worth the play, even at the price listed, plus 180, one unit. So, that goes with Carlo Pedersoli, Pedersoli, minus 160, minus 1.75 units, and then one unit on the dog, plus 180 Mads Burnell, who is also on DraftKings. Also on DraftKings is Neil Magny, because you can't play him at minus 650 is now to a plus 475 Craig White. What? Craig White, who looks like fucking, uh, what's his name, uh, Gendry is his name from fucking Game of Thrones? The, 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 <laughs> Gendry. <laughs> oh, hello, Benjamin. Oh, thank you for the kisses. All right, I'm recording a podcast, buddy. Thank you. But yeah, he looks like Gendry from fucking Game of Thrones. Uh, Craig White. Um, a deceptively experienced guy as far as he's been around, but uh, the best guys he's faced, he's, he's lost to, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Because um, he's a do-or-die type of guy, and... Uh, I, I like it. He seems like a guy that I like. He seems intelligent. You know, words of Dragon Ball Z shorts, Taekwondo background, well-rounded, like dexterity transfers well to his guard. Seems to know what he wants. Head seems to be in the right place, but I think just the athletic and the skill level just seems to be at a different level is what I'm trying to say. And against a guy who's deceptively toward the top, amongst top-level guys, at the best proving ground in the sport, yada, yada, yada. It's going to be a tough road to hoe on 12 days' notice against Neil Magny. And with Neil Magny's propensity to suffocate guys with body lock takedown, something that uh, shown to work there in the uh, Craig White, I see him scoring a bunch of those, uh, surviving the scares that Craig White can offer and finishing him in the second round. So takedowns and a second-round finish, I think, should be able to score you well uh, on your DraftKings uh, contest if you can fit him on the, the roster, which if you like the dogs that I do, you can because I didn't even pick against any of my picks for this one either. I actually legitimately uh, am siding with all the dogs I picked for DraftKings. All right, last, Steven Thompson, now minus 130. Darren Till, back to dog money. Jesus, Darren Till was like 
plus 130 or plus 140 dog. Then he got bet up from fight week because it felt like everybody was coming late to the party with the hand injury announcement. Like, um, the hand injury was like the looming thing from after, right after the Jorge Masvidal fight, where if you go back and watch, Stephen Thompson's more op- open being from his right hand. But Thompson's such a showman. He's such a fucking, he's a lot, he's not a, oh, gee, golly, hokely, dokely, go. He's not like, don't, don't stereotype him for a second as that. He's a smart, he's a sharp fucking dude, okay? Uh, you know, uh, he hurts his right hand, and you can see him trying to tell, talk to his corner, but he knows cameras and stuff are on him. He knows people are mic'd. So uh, as soon as he says it, I think he says right, so you can't hear it because I couldn't hear it. But then you see, I think his dad, either his dad or his corner goes to reiterate it, but he knows his corner's mic, so when they reiterate it, it gets picked up, and he understands that. So when his corner goes, what, which hand? He goes, uh, I don't know, both. And then he says it later in the interview, both, because he doesn't want to give it away, just like being smart. But it was his right hand, which is dangerous, because that's his hammering hand. Stephen Thompson switched stances and stuff, but he fights a lot. He's not a, he's not a, he's not a one-sided fighter like Yair Rodriguez who switched stances. He, he, he's a far cry from Yair Rodriguez, believe me. Stephen Thompson can fucking box. He can use his left hand. But if you look at where he's really doing his damage, he's always hammering home on his right hand. With his right hand. And that's the problem. Same with his kicks too. Because I think <laughs> I, think I heard, heard Rogan say it a couple times. But I, I think I, heard, I, I think Rogan's got it right. But then I don't Anyways, it doesn't really matter. But like uh, it'll switch stances. But it's always the right foot. And when he goes from orthodox, he's looking to spin. with, And then when he goes from southpaw, it's the lead leg. Either way, in both those equations, that's the right foot. So he's a right foot dominant. Same with the right hand. He's right hand dominant as well. That's why, but he could fight so well from southpaw, and it's just so tricky. I, coincidentally, Dan Thomas wired the same way, and even though I'm, I'm not an inch of a, a fighter, a man, or anything, I'm not saying that, but, but again, Dan Thomas, most experienced, Kempo Karate, black belt teaching, and right hand down, dominant southpaw, switch stance. I, 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 I dig the job that, 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 that uh, Stephen Thompson's putting off. I get it. So I just for what it's worth, for what for what my opinion's worth, I guess I'll say that. Um, it, it's very effective, very effective. Problem though, you hurt that right hand makes me wonder. Really makes me wonder, especially that I think that he might be trying to not throw as many kicks because Till can counter kicks very well uh, for both strikes and if he wants to takedowns because Till, uh, I've said before, deceptive on the ground, deceptive. I, I always talk about Luta Livre. It's, it's for people that don't know, it's a uh, big rivalry. If anybody heard of it, like, oh, it's a rivalry with jiu-jitsu. Well, it's because it goes. De- it's more deep-rooted. It's, 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 it's grappling art, but it has less sensibilities of jiu-jitsu. It's more along the lines of catch wrestling. Um, and then you kind of goes along, you know, where catch wrestling goes into shoot fighting for, J- for Japan. The same thing with Mexico as far as, you know, Start getting into luchadors, and people will make that association too, and that that's what kind of where that comes from. So this is weird middle ground lineage, but it has strong roots in the Valley Tudo scene, right? Valley Tudo before MMA, obviously before NHB, Valley Tudo, uh, and Luto Livre was a prominent player in that scene. And where Darren Till used to live in Brazil, comes from a Luto Livre uh, school. So yeah. There, there's that. Uh, but I don't think it's gonna get there. It's Stephen Thompson, deceptive wrestling. Uh, I think he can pot shot, but it's just he's going to have to be disciplined, and it's a dangerous game. You know, I have him by decision here, but it, it's a real danger. It's it's a real, it's a real dangerous. One second. 
yeah, I mean, it's a real dangerous game. He's uh, he's one and zero against southpaws for what that's worth. But uh, it's just that right hand that bothers me, and and I guess people were finding that out. You know, with uh, only now, according to the betting lines, because that's only when they moved recently uh, this week. But now, with Darren Till missing weight this morning, the line's going the other way, despite um, people who miss weight in 2018 being 6 and 0, uh, courtesy of Mike Bond. Shouts to him. Maybe because Darren Till, who braggadociously is a gorilla that weighs over 200 pounds uh, during camp. I think people are starting to think that, ooh, that might work against them. I think this is where the, this statistic finally pays the piper. And Thompson, who appears to kind of have a bit of a chip on his shoulder, a little bit, but even a little bit is a lot for a guy like Thompson, right? So maybe there is something there with that. Um, and maybe he is coming to this one, you know, ready to go. But the fact that Ray Thompson didn't want him to do it kind of worries me. And Ray Thompson's not really a headlines guy, although... I could see from a managerial standpoint him doing that, nor would it be salacious or wrong. In fact, it would be in the best interest of his son and fighter um, to actively campaign and say that he can't physically take the fight. Um, and maybe if they were trying to posture like they're claiming, or maybe that they're just claiming now to backtrack that, they, that he's still not 100%. Who knows? But him, right? Um, yeah, so that's why it's a reluctant pick, Stephen Thompson, because he should... He should win this fight. They both like to win fights on a micro level, but Thompson, at the end of the day, throws more, moves better, more experience, been through more adversity, more proven. Yeah. So the pick is Thompson, but but it's it's, it's reluctant. Till could come out come out and Phil Collins drum beat his way to a fucking uh, victory here. You know you know what I'm saying? And and catch him with the uh, with the uh, the left side because uh, you know. Not saying it's a bad thing, but let's be honest. That's the side that that he loves to use. So, uh, all right, that is that is uh, that is my pick for that one. All right, recap. So, DraftKings fantasy picks: Neil Magny from the top to bottom. Neil Magny, ninety-five hundred. Carlo Pedrasoli Jr. eighty-six hundred. Stephen Thompson eighty-four hundred. Marquan Amir Connie seventy-nine hundred. Gina Mazzani seventy-seven hundred. Mads Burnell seventy thousand. Forty nine thousand one hundred for a total roster of a bunch of southpaws who are trying to take the or people who are trying to and or people who are trying to take their opponent down. No parlay pieces, no props. Didn't like any over or unders. The props are are even the ones that are worth it are kind of bet down to not even worth playing. But I do have Carlo Pettisorli Jr. minus one sixty one point seven five units. Mads Burnell plus one eighty five one unit. Uh, fights to avoid. Molly McCann, Gillian, Gillian Robertson, Gillian Robertson, uh, Gina Mazzani, Lena Landsberg, Elias Theodoru, Trevor Smith, um, Amazon iTunes. I'm not going to shout that out. Uh, I do have a list, though, of people who have been buying through the iTunes things that I am going to shut up, but I'm not going to ask for anything because I don't deserve it with these late shows. Thank you for bearing with this bullshit and low window kind of expedited shows. We've got to be such a hardcore degenerate uh, to even want to listen to this nonsense. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Thank you for those who tweet the podcast and, and whatnot. I do promise to write this fucking ship. It's, it, it is just crazy with, with moving and my body seeming to be fighting off some type of fucking bunch of things right now, which I will get to another day. Um, also, uh, shout-outs to Keith and everybody over at MMA Takeover. Uh, guests picked on their... Uh, on their site, uh, so go check them out. I, I, I retweeted some links, and I'll retweet some more uh, before fight time. 
Um, and uh, yeah, just have a good weekend if you are attending the event. Have fucking fun. Have a beer for me, please. And if you're just watching it and making some picks and plays, good luck on those. And always protect and